welcome to another sermon podcast from Valley Forth Church. We are a church in Spokane Valley, Washington, and are dedicated to the mission of making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple iTunes, Sermon Audio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel for additional content at youtube.com slash valleyforthchurch. Now, here is a message from Pastor Joe Hirsch. We've been going through a passage of scripture that we went through a number of years ago here at Valley Forth. It's the greatest Christmas prophecy, and it's out of Isaiah's ninth chapter, and I decided to go through it again this year, just in light of the times, the darkening times in which we live. And uh, we're going to spend a few moments in this wonderful passage as we finish the fourth of the four great names of the Messiah. And then as we do traditionally here at Valley Forth, we're going to finish by uh, singing Silent Night together. By the way, I hope that you picked up a candle when you came in. And if you haven't, you have my permission to quietly slip out and grab a candle from the inner foyer and come back. I don't want you to be left out of that wonderful moment. But uh, let's take just a few moments as our evening moves to its conclusion and look into the Word of God. It's a great season, but a familiar season, right? We, we go through the same events, we head to the same houses, and, and walk through some of the same experiences. And one of those is uh, enjoying Christmas cards, although that's kind of a fading tradition with Facebook and Instagram and, and probably a number of other ways that I don't even know about how you stay in, in touch with folks. So that's faded, but we've received some. And by the way, to those of you that have sent us some cards this year, thank you from my family to yours. And uh, I even got one uh, this week from uh, a man who mentored me and discipled me when I was a college student. And uh, he caught up with me and sent me a Christmas card. First time in many, many years. It was a blessing to see God's faithfulness in his life and to have him wish God's best for me. So I enjoy opening them because often they have news. You know, sometimes folk, folks tuck in that that uh, long letter that talks about the past year. Now they do it on Facebook a lot more, but uh, sometimes Christmas cards come with news. Usually it's about what happened in that year that you just don't know yet, so it's all past tense. Well, it's been said that Isaiah 9-6 is perhaps the oldest, world's oldest Christmas card. And in it, Isaiah sent a, a Christmas card to the world telling them not about something that had happened, but marvelous person in history. And this person would have four great names, this great one who would come into time from eternity, four great titles. So to prepare you to, to just pl place your minds around it, let me read for one final time for the, those of you from the Valley Fourth Congregation. We've been in this now for three Sundays. I'll read to you one final time, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, and then just a comment or two on the, the last name that we're going to study. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Would you hear with me the word of God tonight? Isaiah's Christmas card to the world, giving us news of one coming. He wrote it almost 2,000 years ago. Well, over 2,000 years ago, 2,700 to be exact. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is God's word. So as he talks about this one who would come into time from eternity, he gives him uh, a number of titles. And all of those just amplify the fact that there are no other takers in history to claim the identity of this person except one, Jesus of Nazareth. I want to tell you about two things tonight. There's a remarkable description that Isaiah gives us about who would come. He calls him a child who would be born and a son who would be given. And there's a meaning we found out in those words. He would be a unique individual who will arrive in human history. There'll be two things true about him. First, he'll be born as a man. A child is born, is the language there. He would begin human existence that day in Bethlehem. But he would have already had an existence from eternity past. He will arrive as God. That's the second thing. He'll be born as a man. A child is born, much like any other child would be born into the world system. But he will arrive as God. Notice the child is born, but a son is given. He already existed prior to that birth event. He existed as Almighty God from eternity past. And the throne room of heaven, in a sense, in a sense Isaiah said, is going to gift him to the world. And so this, this Jesus who is coming, is coming from eternity. He has always been God, but then he also takes on the identity and the nature of man. So you've got the God-man for the first and only time ever in human history. He was a perfect man, and I'm so glad because he can relate to me. The Bible says in Hebrews that he has been tempted in all ways like as I am, and yet without sin. He knew what it was like in every way to go through the humiliation of human life and the difficulty and the suffering of it. So I can know that my Savior relates to me. He relates to me as the perfect man who also took that perfect life to the cross and gave it for me in my place. And he took the wrath of God that I couldn't take for my sin. So this perfect man, to relate to us and be righteous for us, I'm so glad he came. But he's also perfect God. And that means he was a God who was perfect enough to die for me. You see, my debt of sin was eternal. I had offended a holy, eternal God, and my debt to him was everlasting. And I'd have to pay for that for myself unless an eternal person came and took that wrath for me on the cross. And that's what Jesus did as the perfect God. He was a perfect man to relate to me and be righteous for me, and he was a perfect God to die for me. When the centurion looked upon Jesus on that cross and said, truly, this was the son of God. He said that for all mankind. Like I said, nobody else in history satisfies this prophecy. Isaiah was speaking about one person, Jesus of Nazareth. But not only would he come as a perfect man and perfect God, there would be some wonderful things that were true about him. And there's four compound titles in this text. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And what we've done at our church is go through each of these, devoting one Sunday message to each. We discovered that Jesus is the Wonderful Counselor, the wisest Counselor of all time. 
and that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit together devised the wisest act of all time, which was to devise the plan of salvation, a perfect God coming and assuming the form of a man and going himself to the cross in the place of sinful men and women like you and I and taking the wrath for us so that the path could be open to heaven forever if we would trust him as Savior. The perfect plan of salvation devised by the wonderful Counselor. Then we saw that he's mighty God, that he is the everlasting God, and he has the power to bring that great plan of salvation to fulfillment and to bring all of history to a close, and there is no being in in existence today who can defeat this mighty God's work of salvation. I'm so glad he's the undefeatable mighty God. This morning we discovered he's the Prince of Peace in our church. We went over that wonderful story of the Prince of Peace, the one who can bring personal peace to any life. I don't care how tormented or torn up you are tonight. He can bring personal peace to your very heart in a moment of time. And that peace can be your inheritance, your privilege going forward until you see him as a new believer. You can know peace, peace of life and peace with God. And one day he's going to bring planetary peace. We studied that too. He's going to defeat sin, defeat evil, all the evil that keeps you up at night, keeps you channel surfing, wondering what's next, what's 2024 going to hold that will shock us or trouble us. It's all sourced in human evil, my friend, and that will not last forever. The great Prince of Peace is going to come again. These Advent candles behind me show that the light of the world came in the beginning with the light of salvation, but he is coming back and he's got power in his hands and he will come back and he will defeat the darkness of sin and of Satan and of human evil and he will deal with it once and for all. And then this planet will experience what God always meant for it. And you and I, if we know him as Savior, will go into an eternal place and an eternal state of existence that you and I cannot begin to imagine. The Prince of Peace is going to do all of that. Well, there's one more title and just a moment or two on it. He's also, this text says, Everlasting Father. So now let me move from the remarkable description that Isaiah gives us very briefly to the revealing distinction Isaiah makes, a distinction about Jesus Christ as everlasting Father. Now, if you're a person who knows Christian doctrine and you've been around a bit, that might confuse you because you, you might think, wait a minute, this looks like it's confusing the members of the Trinity. I thought there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? Now it looks like Jesus is being called the Father. Well, no, there's no definite article there, God the Father in the Trinity. This has to be something else. Isaiah is not here confusing the three persons of, of, the, of the eternal Trinity. Christians, we believe that there are three distinct persons in the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're three persons in one glorious being. That's God. We don't worship one God who's revealed by three different names, nor do we worship three gods. We worship one God, God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And here he is not confusing the Son with the Father. So he's not talking about the position of Christ in the Trinity. 
He's, just, he's using poetic language here to talk about the relationship Jesus Christ has with time. This is very important, and it can be a blessing to you, so listen closely. It's not a specific title. It's a symbolic description. I put it into a phrase. It means that Jesus Christ is an eternal person, and he has authority over eternity. I'll repeat that. Jesus Christ is everlasting Father in the sense that he's an eternal person and he has authority over eternity. And I'm so glad because he has to settle eternity for me as a sinner. If he has power over eternity, he has the authority to do that. What do I mean when I say that Jesus is an eternal person? Well, the Bible says that Jesus Christ had no beginning. That might surprise you. He is and always has been the everlasting, the eternal God. He never had a beginning. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, speaking there of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, as the second member of the Trinity. He was in the beginning with God. Notice there was a beginning of time and space, this universe that we're, that we're, we're locked in. It had a beginning point at some time in time past. But when that beginning point occurred, who was already there? Jesus Christ, the Word, was already there. He didn't have a beginning. He was at the beginning of what we know to be real. And before that, he had existed from all eternity in the past. He has no beginning. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10 says, And you, Lord, speaking directly about Jesus Christ, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Jesus Christ is Almighty God. He never had a beginning. God, by definition, could not have one. He has always been. He's outside of everything we understand in terms of time and space and matter and moments. He's outside of all of that and has always been. He's separated from it. He's above it and beyond it. And that's true of Jesus Christ. So he's an eternal person. That's why my Bible can say in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm so glad that's in my Bible. That means that the Lord Jesus Christ will never change his opinion about my salvation. Isn't that good to know? When he says, I'm his, I'm his. He will never undo his wonderful love for me. He will never outlive his commitment to me. He will never rethink his salvation for me. He will never come up with a, a different idea about committing himself to me. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is my loving, committed Savior. And he can be yours too tonight. That's why he came the first time. So he is an eternal, changeless person. But he also has authority over eternity. You see, he's outside of everything we understand in time and space and matter and moments. And he has authority over it. He runs it. It doesn't dominate him. Events don't change him or affect him come upon him as a surprise or occur to him in some way that he has to figure out an out game to that. He's above it all, beyond it all. He is over time itself, and therefore he's over eternity. He has authority over eternity. Hebrews 1.11 says, The heavens and the earth will perish, but you, Jesus, remain. 
They'll all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you'll roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. Not only did Jesus never have a beginning, he will never have a finish point or an end. He is who he is. I'm so glad of that because eternity is going to last forever into the future, isn't it? Oh, you're not planning on yours lasting that long? I'm sorry. I'm planning on mine lasting that long. And therefore, it has to be governed and maintained by someone who's greater than even that, the eternal God. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said of himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first letter in the Greek alphabet and the last who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He owns eternity. So when Isaiah said that coming into time is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the everlasting Father. He owns all of time, and he governs all of eternity. Let me kind of give it, put it into a, a different phrase. A lot of times we use the phrase, so-and-so was the father of something. For example, I was looking up, since it's football season, I was actually looking up who the father of football was. And, you know, it could have been George Hallis with the Chicago Bears. I think he's the father of great coaching, but no, it, it turned out to be a guy I'd never heard of. You know who the father of football is? Walter Chauncey Camp, American f- football player and sports writer. He's known as the father of American football. And in, in the 1910s and fi- 1915, right around there, he created the idea of a line of scrimmage and the system of downs. Now, I tell you what, you can't have football today. You couldn't have watched what the Buffalo Bills did yesterday with Josh Allen with an NFL. Show you where I spent some of my time. Anyway, but none of that could have happened without the scrim- line of scrimmage and, and, the, and the system of downs. And so Walter Chauncey Camp, of all people, owns the title of the father of football because he controls the modern game today even though he's not even around anymore. The father of medicine is Hippocrates because he designed the systems and and analyzed the human body and came up with the theory of disease. Hippocrates, not around anymore, but he controls all of medicine today. He's known as the father of medicine. Who's the father of our country? George? Oh, thank God some of you were in school. Yes. (laughs) Why? Because he he led us to victory in the Revolutionary War, and he was a driving factor behind getting all the way to and through the first United States Constitution, and of course, the first president, the father of our country. Not here anymore, but everything about the pulses of his beliefs and his actions dominate today, still. In the same sense, Jesus is the father of eternity. Look at it that way. He's an eternal person with authority over trusting him for my eternity. I'm trusting him for that. Let me close with this. This can make a difference for you. People say Christmas. It's, it's a sentimental holiday, and it's a time when you have warmer experiences with family and traditions. Oh, no. It's a time that's greater than that. It's a time for you to get in touch with the Father of all eternity and for you to settle your eternity future with him. You can come to know him personally this season because he's in Jesus Christ blew out of the tomb and rose from the dead. He's no longer bounded by time. He's still the God man, but he's now over all of time. That means as a risen Lord, listen, he's alive tonight. He's alive tonight and he's able to move into a living relationship with you tonight. 
He can come into your life tonight because he's alive. He broke through time. He can be with you all the way through your life until you go to heaven because he's eternal. You can personally know him. And once you know him, he'll be faithful to take care of you all the way until you see him. He'll do three things for you if if you're a Christian. He'll provide for you. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, the Bible says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I have a Lord Jesus who's in control, such control of everything that could or would happen to me that he can turn it all around for my good. Why? Because he's outside of time. He controls events. They don't control him. I don't know what my year is going to hold. I shudder to think about what it might hold for all of us. But I know that because he's the master, he's greater than anything that may come. He will provide for me. Second, he'll protect me just like a good father would. He'll provide for me just like a good father would. He'll protect me just like a good father would. But Deuteronomy 33, 27 says, the eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. Thank God for that. I don't know what's coming in 2024, but I know who's already there. That's right. Some of you guys better wake up. You're behind. Oh, I know who's already there. He'll protect me and my family. And finally, he'll stay present with me. Hebrews 13, 5. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Greek on that's beautiful. I will never, no, never, no, never, not ever forsake you. He can't. He's closer than close, and he's committed himself to me. And so... I ask you, do you have a relationship with the risen Jesus like that tonight? Yes. Thank God. Amen. Out of the mouths of babes, the Bible says. Well, I have one too. Almost 50 years strong. And he's kept me and he'll keep you. It's the kind of loving God that Isaiah promised was coming. And my dear friends, he has come. If you're a Christian, you know him. If you don't, you can And if you do know him, then the presence of Jesus and the beauty of his birth never, ever grows old. 